0: Thanks so much, Simon. Well, if you have your Bible, please do open with me to Daniel chapter 3. It will be really helpful for you to have that in front of you as we look at it together this morning. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Those words of Jesus at the end of Matthew's gospel speak to us of two core components in the Christian life. Number one, we're called to walk in obedience to God's commands. Number two, we are to, as Christians, share the hope we have with others so that they will come and follow Jesus as Lord. That sounds really simple, doesn't it? Just obey God's commands and share the hope you have with others. But boy, it can be hard to do. In a culture that is growing increasingly intolerant of the true Christian message and lifestyle, it can be hard to stand up and stand out for Jesus. I'm sure all of us who are Christians here this morning have been in a situation where we have felt we should take a stand for the Lord, but we've stayed quiet, fearing what people will think of us. You see, there's a subtle but very real and powerful pressure on us in this age to stay quiet in our culture as Christians, to be ashamed of our faith position, to hide our light under a bowl, as it were. I'm sure you felt that pressure. A lot of it comes from the fact that our culture now views us as evangelical Christians, weird at best. They think we're weird at best, and at worst, a threat to non-Christians' freedom. Those who are not Christians in our culture, at large, view evangelicals as weird and a threat. And we don't want people to think that of us. So we go into camouflage mode in our workplaces, in our universities. We find it hard. When in light of this cultural pressure that's all around us today. One of the things we need as Christians more than ever is a fresh dose of courage. And this morning's text is designed to give us just that. Daniel chapter 3 is about three men taking a stand for the Lord when everything in their culture was calling them to sit down and stay quiet. The three men who are at the center of this chapter, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they only speak a few lines in the whole long chapter. But the whole passage is organized to make their stand stand out and to give us an incredible example of Christian courage. Just on a literary level, this passage is beautiful in what it communicates. Take a look at the structure of Daniel chapter 3. It's one of these sandwiches that has a few layers with the meat in the middle. The passage is sandwiched between the first seven verses and the last couple of verses with King Nebuchadnezzar making a decree. At the beginning of the passage, he makes a decree that everyone has to bow down and worship his image. By the end of the chapter, he makes a decree that everyone has to honor Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. In the next layer... Verses 8 to 12 and 24 to 27, you get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being accused for not bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. But then in the second layer, they get vindicated for not bowing down to his image. In the next layer, you have this sandwiching around the centerpiece, King Nebuchadnezzar's rage. He's angry because they will not bow down to his image that he has set up. And then what's at the middle of the whole thing? The only words that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego speak in the whole passage, this incredible stand where they say, well, you do whatever you want, king, but we are not bowing down to your pressure. On just a literary level, the meaning of this passage is very clear. And as we look at it once again, I don't want us just to see The courageous example of these three men. We are to be inspired by their courageous stand in their culture, but we're also to see beyond them to their faith in the God who inspired such confidence. You see, as we've said each week, the book of Daniel is not just about Daniel and it's not just about his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The book of Daniel is ultimately about God, the God who is sovereign, the God who is glorious, the God who is powerful and able. And it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's knowledge of God that gives them the courage to stand in their day, and it's us knowing this same God that gives us the courage to stand in our day. Now, we don't know where Daniel is in Daniel chapter 3. He seems to be away on some kind of official kingdom business. So the attention will fall this morning on these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're going to break the narrative down into three chunks to make it really easy and accessible for us so that we can follow along. Chunk number one, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come under great pressure to compromise their faith. That's what we see in the first 15 verses If you look down with me there at verse 1, you'll see that we read of King Nebuchadnezzar, perhaps inspired by his dream in the previous chapter. He decides to set up an image of gold that represents his authority, his gods, the power and glory of the Babylon that was his city that he had built. He sets up the image, and then in verses 2 and 3, the king calls out his whole civil service, people from every province in Babylon, and he lets them use a bit of their flexi time so that they can come to the dedication of the image that he has set up. Now, the Babylonian empire at this stage had pretty much swallowed up the whole known world. So this was a pretty international affair. Representatives from every province across the whole empire, were to come to the dedication of this image. In verse 4, the king's decree is proclaimed. Notice to all peoples, nations, and languages that when the royal band would strike up, everyone was to fall down and worship the king's image. And if anyone was to refuse, we're told in verse 6 that they'd be thrown into a giant fire pit, the fiery furnace. So in verse 7, the band strikes up and all the peoples, nations, and languages bow to the authority and glory of Babylon. That is quite an image, isn't it? We've seen over the past couple of weeks that this city of Babylon in Scripture actually stands for the world that does not know God. And here you have a picture of all nations bowing to this man-made idol, Well, actually, not everyone bows down. In verses 8 to 12, we learn that these three Jewish exiles who had been kidnapped and taken from Jerusalem into the city of Babylon, they refused to conform to the command to bow down to this image that the king had set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were men of God, committed to walking in obedience to the first two commandments where we read, You shall have no other gods beside me, says the Lord, and you shall not make or bow down to any idolatrous image or servant. They couldn't bow down because they were men of God. Well, this stand, when everyone else had their backsides in the air and their faces down before this statue, this stand of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it angered their peers. It angered their fellow wise men who were probably already quite jealous of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego because let's remember they had been promoted to a very high position in the kingdom of Babylon. So the three men's peers, their fellow wise men, they go to the king and they report this civil disobedience. And they say in verse 12, O king, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego pay no attention to you. They refuse to bow down to the image that you have set up. And in verse 13, we read that the king is absolutely raging. This dents his pride that these three would dare to think they could stand in defiance to his command. So he calls in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, is what I'm hearing true? And then as if he's gracious, (laughs) he just says, look, maybe you haven't understood. I'll give you another chance. I'll get abandoned When they strike up, if you're ready to bow down, brilliant, we can all get on with our lives. But if not, you'll be thrown into the fire. And then look at what Nebuchadnezzar says at the end of verse 15. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Boy, that is some act of defiance against God. Nebuchadnezzar was essentially saying, what God is greater than me? Now, let's just take, at the end of this first chunk, a few moments to consider the pressures being applied to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here, because they're the kind of pressures that we face in our day day and age in subtle ways as well. The pressure on them came from at least three sources within this first chunk of the narrative. First, they faced pressures here from the authorities, from their government. In verses 1 to 7, you read the words, King Nebuchadnezzar six times. It's just like a hammer blow over and over again. King Nebuchadnezzar, set up this image. King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. For the rest of the narrative, you don't really read those words, King Nebuchadnezzar, together, apart from two other times. The author writing this, he wants us to feel the weight of Nebuchadnezzar himself pressing down on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful leader of their day, applying pressure on these men to abandon their kingdom convictions. You feel it very personally for them in verse 14 when Nebuchadnezzar calls them in and he's, he essentially says, You look me in the eye and tell me you're not going to bow down to my statue. They were facing great pressure from the authorities. Now we know in parts of the world today this happens. At our missionary weekend, we're going to be thinking about the persecuted church, when often governments and authorities directly pass laws to persecute Christians for their faith. It's beginning to be felt here in Northern Ireland in subtle ways. And we need to be strong and gracious. They faced not only pressure from authorities, though. Secondly, they faced pressure from their peers. And perhaps this is what we will resonate with most this morning. In verse 8, we learn it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's fellow group of special advisors to the king who were unhappy with their refusal to bow down. This would be the equivalent of you in your workplace, your colleagues being the ones putting you under pressure to compromise your Christianity. Or in university, your fellow classmates, Or maybe your close family around you putting you under pressure for your Christian stand, wanting you to compromise. It's this fellow group of special advisors who are maliciously accusing and attacking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for their conviction that they could not bow down to the king's idolatrous image. When the band struck up, all their peers bowed down to the image. Imagine the pressure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego must have felt in that moment. Imagine the stress, the weight of it pressing on you. Everyone around you is going with the crowd. And they're not. That's not easy. The spirit of the age in Babylon was to gl- bow to the glory of Babylon. The equivalent in our day, the spirit of our age today, is to bow to the glory of secularism and the glory of the sovereign self. I'm the boss of me. I define my morality. I dictate the terms. And you cannot say anything against my sovereignty. This age has set up its own images, scientific naturalism, that says this is a closed system, no supernatural God, no being enters or exits in any way. Atheistic evolution is the creation narrative of this secular age, or the non-creation narrative, I should say more accurately. Self-made morality. I used to think our culture had no moral absolutes, but I've realized that's rubbish. Of course our culture has moral absolutes but we define them, that's what our culture says. And if you don't fall in line with my moral absolute, you'll be deplatformed, you'll be marginalized, and we'll maliciously accuse you of being a bigot or whatever it might be. The spirit of the age in Babylon is alive and well in our day. We are told, bow down and get in line with the spirit of the age or we will marginalize you. To stand up and say no, to say, I believe there's a God in heaven. He's defined what is moral. The self is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's not easy. Because the pressure is on. Bow down with everyone else. Let go of those faith convictions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were under huge pressure from their peers to bow down But there was a third type of pressure that was coming upon them and we see it there right at the end. Their their third form of pressure came from the potential consequences of not bowing down. The threat is loud and clear in this first section for these three men. You don't bow down and you'll be maligned, accused and made to feel awful. You'll be sent to the furnace, executed. As I've said already, today in some parts of the world, believers face this same danger. For us, it may be less direct, but we can feel the pressure of the consequences of taking a stand for the Lord in different ways. I've heard all sorts of stories recently of Christian midwives being put under pressure to compromise their convictions on abortion. I've heard of Christian teachers being pressurized against their will to take a particular stance on human sexuality that they're not comfortable with. More and more, we're going to see probably times when Christians taking a stand is going to cost them their job. They won't get a promotion. They will be socially excluded and mocked. I'm telling you, the pressure to bow down in our secular age is real. You've felt it in your place of employment, in our universities. Sadly, many churches are caving and becoming liberal As if the church was to blend in with Babylon and just say, yeah, we're just like them. We believe the same things about Babylon. It's so sad. Well, in such circumstances, we need examples of courage to help us find the strength to stand when everyone else has bowed down. And that's what we get now in the middle and second chunk of the narrative. Now we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond with faith, full, courage, and conviction. Verses 16 to 18. Now remember, King Nebuchadnezzar has asked them two questions. Number one, are you ready to bow down to my image? And number two, if not, who is the God who is able to deliver you out of my hands? And boy, the answer that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego give in this section is brilliant. And it demonstrates a faith that flows out of their knowledge of God. In fact, there are four marks of their courageous faith that we can learn from so that we can find the courage to take a stand in our day and age. This faith that enabled them to stand with courage was first of all a faith that knew God as their highest authority. This faith knows God to be our highest authority. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, just for a moment, that's quite standout in the narrative because see, whenever the wise men of Babylon address King Nebuchadnezzar, they're like, O oh, king, great king, live forever. And it's so funny the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego initially address the king here. Just, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you're just a wee man. Now, they do refer to him as the king later on, but it's supposed to catch you right at the head of their statement. Nebuchadnezzar, little man, we have no need to answer you in this matter. And I love this. What they're saying here is, we are not answerable to you for our commitment to our God. You're not our highest authority. You're not our judge. We don't have to answer you. Who are you? We are. Nebuchadnezzar. You see, they know that the living God is their highest authority. Not a king who likes to dress up and make himself look powerful. Second, this courageous faith knows God's unlimited power. Verse 17, if this be so, that is, if we're sentenced to the fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand. They're essentially saying, Nebuchadnezzar, who do you think you are? You think our God might struggle to save us from your mighty power? Oh no. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us without breaking sweat. This faith knew God as its highest authority, it also knew the unlimited power of Almighty God. But third, this courageous faith also knew God's sovereign freedom. This is really, really important and really, really helpful. They say in verse 17, our God is able to deliver us. And then in verse 18, but if not, be it known To you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. They're saying we know that our God can save us. He can do all things. But when it comes to what he's actually going to do in this situation, we don't know for sure. But here's what we do know. He is sovereign. He is good. And he has a good plan, even in this. That plan... Might be to glorify His name by saving us, or it might be to glorify His name by keeping us faithful unto death. We don't know what God's going to do, but here's something we do know. Our God is God, Nebuchadnezzar, and you are not. We're not buying down to this filthy little trinket that you've set up. And this leads to the fourth mark of true faith that can withstand pressure to bow down. It is a faith that is committed to obedience, whatever the consequences. Those three words, but if not, I want them to be blazoned onto your heart and into your mind this morning. Those three words demonstrate the man's total confidence in God. And I want to encourage us all this morning, let's be but if not Christians. What do I mean by that? Well, there are all kinds of things that you and I are praying for, and we would love God to do them. We know he's able to do them, but we don't know if he's going to do it or not. I want to encourage you to be a people who pray boldly, who ask God for big things, full of faith, but also always ready to surrender to the sovereign freedom of God who always knows what is best and say, but if not, in your prayer. So for example, you might be praying, Lord, I would love you to give me a relationship and take away my singleness. I'd love you to do that. But if not, I'm not going to throw the towel in. I'm going to keep serving you faithfully in the calling you have given to me. Or you might be saying, Lord, I'd love you to grant me a child. Please give me that, Lord. But if not, if not, I'm not going to walk away and get in your face. I'm going to keep on singing your praise. Or maybe it's just some particular situation that you can think about that you'd love to see God change this morning. And you might be saying, Lord, I'd love you to change this situation that I'm struggling with so much and do this and this and this. But Father, if not, I'm not going to throw in the towel and walk away. I will seek to glorify you even in this. You might be saying here as a young student, I want to be so popular. I want to fit in with everyone in my class. But if my stand for you, Lord, means that won't be the case, I won't bow down to my idol of popularity. And I know you can deliver me and help me, and I know you can give me the friends that I need, but if not, I'm going to keep following you. You see, that is what we call indestructible faith. It's a gift from God that we must cry out for, Lord, give me indestructible faith. Now, how can we find the courage to find this kind of faithful stand in our day and age, wherever God has placed us, with our colleagues, with our family, with our friends, wherever we're at? Well, that's where the beauty of this final chunk in the narrative comes in. The final scene of this chapter is stunning. Number three, the fourth man who stands with his people in the fire, verses 19 to 30. Not surprisingly Nebuchadnezzar didn't react well to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand. If he was already furious just before they spoke, now he was as hot as the fire he was about to throw them into. Verse 19, he does what he said. He orders that his furnace, his fire pit, would be superheated seven times. The normal, that word is, the, the number seven in scripture always means fullness, fullness, fullness. So as much as you can fire this thing up, fire it up. It was so hot that the men who even took Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to throw them in, they got caught up in the flames and died themselves. And then in verse 23 we read what seems like the end for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These three men fell bound into the fiery furnace. And you sort of think, wow. They were faithful unto death. But it was not the end. It's mind-blowing In verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar, you can almost see him jumping in and like rubbing his eyes for a second. He looks in and he's like, what's going on? In verse 24, he says, hang on, didn't we cast three men bound into the fire? And his advisor said, yes, king, we did. And verse 25, he says, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of fire. There's a description for a Christian's calling in our day and age, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. If that does not increase your heart rate. <laughs> I don't know what will. So Nebuchadnezzar says, "Come out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out!" And they come out of the fire. And the author gives this lovely little detail not even a smell of smoke on them. If you've ever stood near a fire pit and had the smoke coming on you, you know you walk away and and you're stinking of smoke. They come out, not even a hint of smoke on them. And the king and his advisors are totally blown away. And they say in verse 20, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. And that really brings us to the end of the narrative. Now let's reflect on the deliverance of this third scene for a moment. You see, we have to see that this is first not a guarantee of deliverance in every case for every Christian. This portrait is a beautiful Old Testament picture of how the Son of God, Jesus Christ, protects his people in the fire of tribulation. In our lives, we can at various times find ourselves in fiery trials as part of our walk with God. We pray to be delivered, and sometimes we feel like the fire just rages on. Well, what's the point of the third scene and this beautiful appearance Of the Son of God in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, this scene reminds us that our God does not promise to keep us out of the fire, but what He does promise is to stand with us in it. That is glorious, that's real. That's real life. You see, that's real life. That's not fake prosperity gospel, just speak the word and it'll happen. That's real. He doesn't keep us out of the fire. We know this, but he stands with us in the fire. The fourth man can find his people when they really need him. And he will stand with us to shield us and strengthen us with his all-sufficient grace. He doesn't always preserve us from loss and loneliness and grief. But the unseen God stands with us in it. Do you know something? There's a wee verse in the Old Testament, Psalm 77 verse 19, that I find so helpful for my faith when I'm going through things that I don't understand. Here's what we read at the end of Psalm seventy-seven, nineteen. The psalmist reflects on how God led his people through the different trials they experienced in the wilderness and how he opened up a way through the Red Sea for them to pass through. And at the end of Psalm 77, verse 19, the writer says, Lord, your way was through the sea. Your path was through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Isn't that wonderful? You led us, God, like a shepherd through the unknown, through the loneliness, through the fear, through the anxiety. We didn't see you. Your footprints were unseen, but you were there. And you stood with us. And you were a shepherd to us. And you sustained us when we were weak. That is your story. If you're a Christian, you look back on any trial in your life. He stood there with you, walking in front of you as your shepherd, carrying you, though his footprints were unseen. It's incredible. incredible. You know the words of Isaiah 43, 1 4, promise that it is ours in Christ. Now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they'll not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. Wow. And more than standing with us just in temporal trials. This is the Son of God who will stand with us in the ultimate fiery trial. The trial of that day when we stand before a holy God who will judge humanity in accordance with their sin. We will stand one day before a holy God who is a consuming fire. And if we were to stand on our own with our debt of sin, none of us could stand. We will face the fire of God's judgment because he's holy and he will not let anything sinful get through into his perfect kingdom. But who has promised to stand with us on that day? We have an advocate with the Father. We have a Savior, a Redeemer, who says when you pass through that fire, I will be with you. I have bore the fire of judgment for you, and I will shield you, and I will protect you. When you walk through that fire, it will not harm you at all, because Jesus can save his people through fire. The Son of God, the fourth man, stands with us in the fire. Emmanuel, God with us. You'll make it through, and there won't even be a smell of smoke on you. How? Because Jesus took the fire for you. Do you remember in Gethsemane? Jesus said his own, but if not. Do you remember? Do you remember? Lord, take this cup from me. Speaking of the suffering you would face on the cross, where you would bear our sin to save us. He said, Lord, this cup, its please take it from me. If there's another way, take this away from me. But if not, may your will be done. And you see, Jesus took the cup of wrath and he drunk it down, so that you could have the cool and refreshing cup of salvation. This means that in the end, you will be delivered from the worst of this fallen world. All of the brokenness, sadness, and sorrow. The fourth man came to stand with you, and he will stand with you, and he will deliver us in the end. The big question is, <laughs> have you embraced the fourth man, Jesus? Jesus? because he does not automatically become our Savior. The Bible tells us everywhere that we must call on the name of the Lord to be saved, cry out to Jesus to be our Savior, to be the one who forgives us from our sin, to take the cup of our judgment that we can have the cup of his salvation. And we know that we will be saved. So this whole passage stands to give us a big dose of courage when the pressure's on to bow down. We're to see the various forms of pressure and understand them. We're to see the faith that knows God in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in the end, we're to see the hope that sustains us in the God who stands with us when we're tempted to bow down. So this week, I want to call you once again to 20 seconds of courage. Some of you have heard me share this illustration before, and let me just close with it. A while ago, we as a family were watching that movie, We Bought a Zoo. It was one of these random ones. We didn't know much about it, and we watched it. And there's this incredible scene in the middle of the movie where Matt Damon is speaking to his son, who wants to pluck up the courage to speak to a girl and ask her out on a date. And he doesn't have the courage, and he keeps getting the opportunity, but he goes quiet. And his dad, who's Matt Damon in the movie, just says to him, son, just 20 seconds of insane courage. That's all it takes. Just 20 seconds of courage to take your stand, to speak. This week, I really want to encourage you, if you have the opportunity and you feel the pressure to hide your light under a bowl, just say, Lord, give me strength. 20 seconds of courage is all it takes. And whatever happens, happens but I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to bow down to the pressure. I'm going to stand. Lord, help me to stand. And what will help you with that this week? Well, do you remember how I started the Great Commission? Two components of the Christian life. Obedience and sharing the hope we have with others. Do you remember what Jesus said? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then what did he promise at the end? I will be with you always. The fourth man with you in the fire, with you in the loneliness, with you in the grief, with you in the peer pressure, with you in the anxiety, with you in the depression, with you in the uncertainty. I'll be with you always. So go forth, Great Vic, this week with courage, ready to stand, with hope and life, proclaiming our better story to a culture that so desperately needs to hear it, and know as you go, you have an incredible God who goes with you. That gives us hope when the pressure's on. Let's pray. Our God, it's as if this chapter was written just for us in our day and age. There's so much glory here, Father. That vision of all peoples, nations, and languages bowing to the glory of Babylon, man-made idols. And the little, three little faithful men standing against it, saying, I won't bow down. I'm going to be faithful to my God. And a beautiful picture of you, the God, who stands with us in the consequences of that stand. Oh, Lord, give us courage, we pray. Humility, grace, wisdom, We don't want to be obnoxious in taking our stand but we want to be courageous and wise. It's like we need a big injection of courage. Oh please help us Father because we do feel so weak. We might be feeling a sense of fizzing as your spirit works in us now but tomorrow when we're back at work and the opportunity comes again we just sometimes feel as weak as water. Oh but please Lord put strength into our hearts, courage into our minds, and help us when we have the opportunity to stand and to faithfully say, there is a God in heaven. Jesus is my Lord. I'm a Christian, and I want to live for him. Oh Lord, give our brothers and sisters, give us all courage to stand in all the pressures we come under in this world. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning, and they're sitting listening to this and saying, I don't, I don't, have this Jesus. I don't have this fourth man. I don't have the Son of God in my life. I just pray that even now, spiritually, you'd open their eyes and that they would say, yes, I want Jesus to save me from the fire. And Lord, as we respond together and sing and go on into the rest of this week, we do ask for that courage and grace and ask together that you would inspire us and help our brothers and sisters, especially in other parts of the world where they are facing the threat of execution for taking that stand. Oh Lord, help them to be faithful unto death. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing what is a rousing, closing hymn that calls us as a church to rise up, put our armor on and to hear the call of Christ to go out into our world. So let's stand as the musicians begin and praise the Lord. you so much for that hope we have together and when we think of what we've just been studying that picture of all peoples nations and languages bowing before babylon and the three that said no there is a god in heaven and he alone is the one before whom we bow oh lord may we see more and more people from the nations coming to bow the knee before the lord jesus christ and help us lord in the mission you've given us to be strengthened That we would faithfully be your witnesses. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you, and make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you.